Perhaps you've heard it said that if many of the stories in the Bible were made into a movie, they'd be rated R. That's really true in the Old Testament, where we read tales that involve well, pretty much every kind of bad behavior you can think about, from adultery to murder. All right, I'm going to just stop there before it gets too weird, because there's some weird stuff in the Old Testament. Suffice it to say, there are some pretty tough things that happen in the pages of Scripture. And if a movie maker wanted to film some of those stories, a question immediately arises. How far is too far? At what point does gritty realism in a Christian movie, whether it's dealing with a biblical story or a more contemporary one, become a potential stumbling block for a vulnerable viewer. Hey everyone, Adam Holtz here, your host of The Plugged In Show, focused on the family's weekly conversation about entertainment, technology, and pop culture. Thanks for joining us today. This question of how far might be too far is more than just an academic thought experiment. Over the last week or so, you may have heard about a faith-based movie that's causing quite a stir due to some of his explicit scenes. Redeeming Love is based on Francine Rivers' book of the same name, and it, it deals with Hosea and Gomer's biblical story, one in which God called a prophet to marry a prostitute as sort of a, a symbolic representation of his love. You know, Gomer keeps straying off and doing really bad things, uh, and Hosea has to forgive her and love her. And so we get a take on that story that's set in the Old West. And honestly, some of the stuff here might catch people by surprise if you don't know what this story is about. But that film's not the only Christian movie in the last few years to push the boundaries of grittiness and realism with its imagery. Obviously, The Passion of the Christ did so back in 2004. Unplanned, which is uh, an amazing but amazingly difficult movie about abortion, did so in 2019, and it was even rated R for some graphic imagery related to abortion that turns up. And there are others as well. So today in our main segment, we're going to be talking about that subject with Paul AC, Emily Clark, Jonathan McKee, and our newest team member, Kennedy Unthink. Welcome, Kennedy. Hey, thanks. It's great to be here. We are glad that you are here, and you had the privilege of reviewing Redeeming Love, so we're going to lean heavily on you in our conversation <laughs> yes, today to, uh, to, to help us to know what to expect. And in our second segment, I'll be talking with Paul AC about a new movie that, while ironically isn't a Christian movie, actually has a lot of really positive pseudo-Christian material in it, and Paul will tell us about that. So I want to start with, well, it might be a little bit of a loaded question today, but one that's going to relate directly to what we're talking about in our first segment. How do you feel or what do you think about Christian movies? Do you enjoy them? Do you avoid them? Is it somewhere in between? And, you know, I'm curious to see what your thoughts on Christian movies are. Who wants to launch us off on that loaded question? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a really tricky question, right? Because I, I think that conceptually I would say I really love Christian movies okay. because I love movies that speak to what I find important. You know, And obviously, if we consider ourselves Christians, that's going to be of prime importance in our lives. Now, I also like superhero movies, but some superhero movies are not necessarily all that great. Eternals was not that great. The 1990 version of Captain America was really, really bad. So 
I'm going to stop you here because I asked you about Christian movies, but you're talking about superheroes. So it feels like you're redirecting the conversation already. <laughs> it's, it's really sort of, it's an illustration that to say, what do you feel about Christian movies? It's a difficult question to answer okay. because all those movies are so different. And yeah, here's the yeah, other thing. Totally. Sometimes and I another think, thing. And another thing. Um, I often see, as we'll talk about later, some Christian messages in some secular movies. So do okay. we consider those Christian or secular? Okay. So even the way I have framed the question begs <laughs> you know what? philosophical rabbit trails. Emily? I'll, I'll help you out here. Okay, good, I think good. it's I think it's somewhere in the middle for me. I think that there I, I really like movies with happy endings and most Christian movies that I've seen have happy endings. And, you know, they tend to be cheesy with their humor and stuff, but I'm actually okay with that because I, you know, subscribe to dad humor and dad jokes. Me too. You know, but I also like the fact that I can like, if I know it's like, you know, a Kendrick's Brothers film, I can walk into that movie knowing that if I'm watching it with my own parents, there's not going to be any, you know... Uh, wild cards. It's going to be a pretty solid movie. We're all going to walk out of there feeling good, you know, maybe shed a, shed a few tears, you know. I think we all cried a little bit during uh, Courageous, but, you know, but at the same time, you know, I I studied film when I was in college. I like really good, like, Oscar-worthy films, I, and I like those movies because they tend to feel more real. I will say that for a lot of Christian movies. They don't always feel real, and because that cheese factor is played up so much and sometimes that takes me out of it and it's like this is so cheesy that it's not even realistic nobody's this is not how real life is like real life has you know a lot of issues and problems and stuff and so sometimes those movies christian movies can fail to depict that grit okay well and that's sort of the the core of what we're talking about today and and I feel like you, I, I think you used the word cheesy a couple times. I think there is an attempt to sanitize hard things. And my reality meter on one hand, I think it's what makes Christian movies popular among so many believers. They know they can watch some wholesome entertainment. They don't have to yeah. have their filters up. They don't have to feel like they're being assaulted by the hard stuff of the world. But you know, on the flip side, just as you said, it's that very sanitized approach at times that makes me think, well, that was nice, but it's not reality. And, and I think that we want films that, uh, especially as Christians that engage our faith and push us toward thinking, how does my faith apply to the real stuff that happens in the real world? Now I will say, um, having said that, that, I think Christian movies are getting better at this. I think that there's an increasing level of nuance and willingness to deal uh, with that kind of hard stuff. Yeah, and I'd, I'd agree with both Paul and Emily. I think that uh, a lot of the movies, it's a mixed bag of some of them are, you're going to find really great statements of faith throughout the entire film. Others, you'll still find that statement of faith, but a lot of them are kind of based on these uh, really cheesy assumptions. Uh, yeah. You know, there are a few that I watch where I mean, they make every single atheist the person encounters like the worst person ever who would <laughs> laugh at baby seals being clubbed, you right. know, Goodness. and it's just not realistic. There's a lot of nuance in real life and there's a lot of uh, the whole point of Christianity is that we're all in need of a savior and we all need to 
be re-reminded of the gospel even after salvation. Yep. And for a lot of these Christian movies, you often see that the Christian just is literally the best person to ever walk the earth other than Jesus. Yep. But then on the flip side, you do have a lot of those uh, Christian movies as well that do uh, portray a lot of Christians in a very realistic light. Mm-hmm. Uh, things like The Chosen, for instance, that's currently yeah. playing right now, where you see uh, Simon Peter actively struggling with having to deal with his pride issues and having to deal with uh, what it looks like to submit and also having to see what it looks like to graft in the Gentiles. And so I think, like I said, it's a mixed bag. You have the good and the bad, and you just kind of have to stick your hand in and hope you get something good. (laughs) Yeah. Jonathan, what about you? Yeah, you know, uh, I'm going to go off what you said with uh, Christian movies getting better. I definitely agree. I mean, being in the youth ministry world for decades, whenever I wanted to show some good Christian content to teenagers, I wouldn't dare show a Christian movie because most of it was cheese. And as a matter of fact, the clip I used to always show at Easter was Ben-Hur because the Jesus clip was so fantastic in that movie, better than any Christian movie. But it is changing. I think I can only imagine was a game changer in the Christian world. The Chosen, as Kennedy just mentioned, was a huge game changer, like nothing I've seen. And I love Kennedy's point about kind of showing real raw Christians who need a savior because you know, you do see the disciples being completely judgmental of Matthew and like gossiping about him. And, you know, and I was just like, you know, come on guys, you know, you guys need Jesus really bad, you know? And, and, and that's kind of cool. <laughs> oh, look, there he is. To, yeah, exactly. It's, it's kind of cool to see. So um, this is a good discussion because I think sometimes we label, this is Christian, this isn't. Wait, Ben-Hur isn't because it was an Oscar, for, you know? So, uh, you know, I think a lot of us are looking for good storytelling, but at the same time, we don't want all this gratuitous content that's confusing our kids, for example. Um, so it's nice to find wholesome entertainment um, that tells truth. All right. Well, Kennedy, you saw Redeeming Love. Can you give us just a little bit of an overview of the plot and what we can expect there? And and maybe you know begin to talk about some of the things that we didn't expect to see as well. Yeah, and so uh, if you don't know about the book or the movie, basically it is the story of Hosea and Gomer uh, set in the Old West. And that entails Gomer, who is a prostitute, who uh, needs to be redeemed over and over by Hosea because Hosea feels that God has called him to marry this woman and to redeem her no matter how many times she goes back, no matter how many times she messes up, he's supposed to go back And he's supposed to say, I forgive you, you are my wife, and we are going to live the rest of our lives together happily. That's the life I want to offer you, Angel. One full of color, warmth, beauty and light. Just give me a chance. Now that's a beautiful story, and it really does show God's redeeming love. However... Uh, <laughs> There's the whole prostitute part, right? Yeah, For starters. And so when you go into that movie and you know, you know, it's about a prostitute, you kind of expect that there's going to be some, at the very least, at the very beginning of the movie, there might be some... Suggestive stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, there's definitely suggestive stuff in there. Um, the problem is it's not very subtle. It's right in your face. <laughs> it's more than just suggestion, really. Um, yeah, and it's kind of right there. Yeah, you get to the point where you're watching this, and I mean, the first time, this is, I mean, this isn't really a spoiler, but the first time they really meet each other, she's completely naked. 
and she's uh, all the intricate parts are only covered by her hair and or strategically or, placed furniture exactly. and such <laughs> and so i was thinking okay this is interesting let's see <laughs> let's see maybe this is the only time this happens but then you know later on you get these really gratuitous and like really thought out and fleshed out sex scenes and i mean the sex scenes they're like 4 minutes long throughout the entire movie no dialogue just music and and various noises and various movements you don't see anything but you sure hear a lot right and that's where i think the issue with the movie is is i think a lot of people are going to go in expecting that kind of like cheesy christian movie with especially with the title called redeeming love yeah and then they're going to be just thrown right into this fire pit of of illicit affairs. Yeah. I was surprised at how erotic those mm-hmm. scenes felt. And I use that word very intentionally uh, and very deliberately here because in both of those scenes, as you said, we see a lot. They managed to keep it PG-13, although barely. I mean, there are some things... That I'm like, wow, I didn't know that you could film that in a PG-13 movie. Uh, And I think that if you are someone who has struggled at all with pornography, this felt like, um, okay, we're not just depicting a man and a woman who are in love and the beauty of marital intimacy. Like, I think because that would be the argument for it is, oh, we're just picturing, you know, the goodness of marital intimacy. And here at Focus on the Family, we would be the first to line up and say, intimacy in a marriage is God-designed and it is a good thing. The amount of that that we see in this movie, I think it's safe to say, caught us both really by surprise. It's really fascinating. And and this is a great illustration of the struggles that I think Christian filmmakers have, right? Because as we talked about at the very top, sometimes Christian movies get accused of sanitizing things too much, right? So they don't feel realistic enough. Here is a movie that dives deeply into some really interesting realism shall we say. Well, that would be one way to put it. <laughs> uh, and, and, and so you sort of wonder, where is that line? Where do we okay. draw the line between, between when something feels real and when it feels gratuitous? And I think that's the real question here. I think that is the question. But, you know, here's another thing to consider. It's, you can make that argument that you made, Adam, about, you know, the uh, intimacy of marriage and everything. But the actors portraying these characters are not married you know so it's like so you're taking this young woman and this young man you're taking you're removing their clothes and you're putting them in a room in front of all these cameras and all these extra people potentially who you know it might be you know a closed set where it's you know only the people that they need for this scene but it's like you still just put these people in that scenario and so whatever argument you just made you just lost by the way you did it, you know? So it's like, I think it is gratuitous. I think any point where you're taking people and putting them in that scenario where they have to pretend to do that, that's too much. Mm. The other thing that I think we should note is that gratuity can sometimes be in the eye of the beholder, right? Yeah, there is a subjectivity here, right? Exactly. And that's one of the reasons why we do what we do and how we do it. We report what is in a movie so that people can make their own judgments. Does this cross the line for me? Does this go over? Is this something that I can handle? Do I find that this level of sexual content or violence or whatnot, does that 
add to the story or for me, does it detract? Um, I want to give the filmmakers of this movie all the credit in the world for trying to tell a really important biblical story Definitely. in the way that they felt was needed. But at the same time, you know, I think what Emily brings up is really valid. And different people are going to be triggered by different things. I mean, let's change the context to, well, let's just talk about the passion of the Christ. I mean, I think you mm -hmm. can make the argument that Mel Gibson was trying to create a not sanitized picture of what happened to Jesus, that he would say, this is what we know from history. This is what we know happens when somebody is flogged. This is what crucifixion is really like. It is an execution. Sure. And yet there were those who felt like, you know, it was torture porn. Like it, it was almost pornographic in its depiction of, of violence. And where is that line? I saw it once. That was enough. I frankly never want to see the passion of the Christ again, because the depiction of that violence once was plenty for me. Right. When when the Passion of the Christ came out, I was actually working as a secular reporter and covering covering religious issues. And one of the things that came down the pipe when um, the Passion was released was that after a few weeks, the people who were going to go see it anecdotally were often teen boys who really got into the violence of yeah. the thing. They it's almost like a horror movie. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so you have that sense where, you know, clearly for some people, the passion of the Christ and its use of violence went too far. And yet for other families, even other families, I, I know moms and dads who took their seven-year-olds to the passion. It was a really important illustration of God's suffering. So it's a difficult line to walk. Well, Kennedy, I'm glad you uh, dove in and um, took it on the chin with this one. <laughs> uh, and I think you've done a great job of helping us understand that and, and opening the door to this bigger conversation. I don't, I don't think there's a black and white answer here. But I do think even with Christian stuff, we've got to use discernment. We've got to be thinking about what's the message here? What's the theology? Uh, and sometimes we will run into a Christian movie that's gritty enough that we may have to say, you know what? I don't think I or my kids or our family need to go here. Uh, and that's going to be a personal and a subjective call. Uh, but I do think we have some movies that that beg that question. And so obviously at Plugged In, we want to do our best to equip you with everything you need to make the best decision possible, uh, whether that's with the craziest new R-rated movie that's out or a Christian movie that surprisingly went a little bit further than we thought it was going to. So I hope our conversation today has been a catalyst to help you think about your choices in this area as well. Well, for our second segment today, uh, if I were in Monty Python, I would say, and now for something completely different. <laughs> completely different. Paul, you saw a movie that is out and it's a little bit under the radar, I think it's safe to say called The King's Daughter. What is going on in The King's Daughter and why might our plugged in folks actually want to know about this one? Well, this was a really fascinating movie to see on the heels of what we just talked about, right? Because yeah. this is sort of a secular PG rated fairy tale. It feels like a palate cleanser almost. It, it really, <laughs> in some ways it, it is because it really feels uh, gentle in a lot of ways. And it's technically a secular movie. It stars Pierce Brosnan, William Hurt, uh, stars a, a lot of familiar faces. 
but it has some really interesting Christian content in it. Um, and essentially, it's about the king in the title is a Louis XIV, who we know ruled France. He was a real-life king who ruled France for goodness gracious, like 60, 70 years. Um, we meet him essentially 40 years into his reign, and he's starting to think about, man, wouldn't it be great to rule France forever? And so he wants to actually find a way to become immortal. Maybe he just saw Eternals. Exactly, exactly. So he, he uh, his doctor gives him a way that he can ju- do just that. He is told that if you capture a mermaid and sacrifice her during some sort of eclipse, then all of a sudden that the immort- oh, it just got really weird. <laughs> <The> immortality <laughs> will be transferred to, I guess, the nearest king. And so the king knows. Who knew? <laughs> who knew? Who knew? I don't know how the doctor knew, but that's a question for another podcast, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, he also brings aboard, brings to Versailles his daughter, his daughter who he has not seen. She's been living in a convent. She comes. She meets the mermaid who is captured and living in this secret grotto of the king. There's always a grotto, and isn't there? they become really good friends. Uh-oh. And obviously, if the king's daughter knew that uh, the mermaid was to be sacrificed. That would not be a good family discussion. The creature will be killed, placing the life force into our hands. This is murder! She is your pet. She's all but human. Okay, and then things uh, things happen. Things progress. Now, now here... <laughs> <laughs> I'm almost certain, right? <laughs> Here's the interesting thing about this, is that it's really not necessarily about the king's daughter or about the mermaid as much as it is about the king's soul, which would not be as cool a title, which might be why they went with the king's daughter. Uh, It really is this wrestling between the doctor who wants to give this gift of immortality to his king, but in so doing, kill this sentient being, and the priest who who advises King Louis um, throughout the movie, who says, listen, the only immortal thing that God has given you is your soul, and you only have one of those. And so you have this dialogue about what is in God's domain. What does God mean for us to do? And I think it has some really interesting impacts. Wow. I mean, apart from that whole mermaid sacrifice thing, (laughs) it sounds like a great story. (laughs) This is the movie that Kennedy really should have seen. (laughs) Well, if we had a mulligan, we would maybe... We could redo it here, but well, Paul, thanks for telling us about that. I mean, it sounds like families that are interested in that might have all sorts of jumping off points to talk about some pretty deep things for what might seem like, you know, just a fairy tale. Exactly. And that's the beauty of fairy tales sometimes, Adam, is that they can get to a deeper place and, and all you need to do is just sort of dig a little bit and you'll find it. All right. Thanks, Paul. Well, now it's time for a part of the show we like to call Culture Culture Countdown. In this segment, each of us will bring a story that has something to do with faith, religion, pop culture, technology, what the kids are into today, that sort of thing. And you have 30 seconds to tell us what that story is and why it matters. And maybe 40. And no, Paul? (laughs) No, it's 30. I know that each week you try to do a Jedi mind trick to give me, to give you more time, but no, 
Um, And if you're interested in these stories, you'll find more information about all of them in the episode notes for today's show. So do I have any volunteers? Paul, would you like to go first? Oh, why did you just ask for volunteers and then name me? Because I was being mean. <laughs> you were voluntold. You were I voluntold. I was voluntold. And I think that you, I'm going to just say that you're ready. Are you ready? I am All ready. right. I'm going to count you in. Three, two, one, go. So we've been talking a lot about the metaverse lately, right? This this virtual world where freedom reigns. Everything is free. You're free to be how you look, what you do, all this kind of stuff. But you know what's not free? What? Weird fake land. It is very, very expensive. Apparently, according to the CDC, CNBC, uh, since Facebook decided that, that meta was going to be a thing, virtual land plots have gone up... Oh my goodness! I have like fifty more minutes to talk about right. this. Virtual land plots. If that sounds 500%, interesting, <laughs> gone up five hundred percent. Oh, Paul, I'm so You're disappointed. You're such a cheater. Four point three million for some. All right, Paul's Stop. done now. Paul's done. <laughs> he did. He did cheat. He, he yes. snuck it in there. Virtual <laughs> land. Okay. For more on that, go to our episode notes. Yeah, it's a really interesting story. Go to the episode notes. Really, Emily, I'm going to volunteer you next. Cool. <laughs> yes. You ready? Yes, I'm ready. All right. Three, two, one, go. So Verizon and AT&T are bringing out even faster 5G speeds. We now have C-band 5G. Tell me what that means. not everywhere. It's basically, it's just, it's exactly what it sounds like. It is faster internet on your phone. Okay, as if we needed that. But apparently not everywhere. If you live near an airport, you won't be able to do it because all the airports were saying, "Eh, this is going to interfere with, you know. uh... So you can have fast Internet, but don't try to fly with it. Yeah, pretty much. Go to the episode notes to read the rest of the story about why airports are anti-5G or C-band 5G. (laughs) I think the fact that you made her explain something in her 30 seconds feels like she should get more more seconds. I'm cool with it. No, I don't want to say anything. I think you're just trying to live through her. Go read the episode notes. She's fine and you're bitter. (laughs) (laughs) Jonathan. Yes. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Here we go. Three, two, one, go. I'm staring at a White Pulse article that's talking about how young people's drinking is getting actually back to pre-COVID levels. Um, Basically, a Nielsen survey found that alcohol sales rose 54% in early March 2020. Um, Alcohol sales went 339% boost. But even though uh, that happened now... Uh, that COVID's kind of dipping back down. Young consumers are reeling it back in with only 3% telling us they drink alcohol. And I guess those other numbers you'll have to look up in the article because we're out of time. There we go. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting stuff. Well, I will go next and we'll let let Kennedy bat clean up here. Paul, do you want to time me? I would love to time you. I bet you would. (laughs) So 17 seconds, right? 17 seconds. Okay. (laughs) Three, two... One, go. Oh, those kids. You never know what they might be up to. Do you know what they're doing now? They're taking chicken and they're dumping NyQuil on it. Yep, it's the latest TikTok challenge called the Sleepy Chicken Challenge. <laughs> I, you can't make this stuff up. Kids are, are cooking chicken in NyQuil. I don't know. I mean, to go to sleep, you'd think they'd use turkey. That would work even better. But no, <laughs> no. thank you for the laugh on the, on the dad joke. So again, TikTok... Pay attention. 
you don't know what your kids might be up to. The buck stops there. It's true. It's such an interesting and weird story. All right, Kennedy, are you ready for your inaugural go at the culture countdown? Let's do it. Don't be nervous. All right. Three, two, one, go. Have you ever wanted to see Harry Potter play Weird Al? Yes. No? Maybe? (laughs) Who knows? Well, it's going to happen in this recent biopic that will be coming up. Uh, Weird Al is known for his goofy parodies of pop hits, which he's been doing since long before YouTube made them ubiquitous. Uh, however, this biopic also sounds like it'll be more or less a straight telling and or less of a straight telling and more of a wacky spitball. Uh, from the Hollywood Reporter, uh, the Weird Al Yankovic story holds nothing back, exploring every facet of his life. Every facet. Plus the Harry Potter every chapter. Love it. Wow. All right. Well, Kennedy's first culture countdown that was uses awesome. the word ubiquitous. Yes. That was ubiquitous. To be fair, it was on the paper in front of me. Well, <laughs> it's all right. Nobody it was, he used a Paul word. Nobody, I mean, that's great. nobody needs to know that. It will just be our secret. Well, thanks for each of those lovely culture countdowns. And next week, we'll, uh, we'll maybe give it another go and, and see if, if it's the week that Paul can stop talking after 30 seconds. It won't be. No, never. Such grief I get on this show. Such grief. (laughs) Well, thanks again for spending some time with us at the Plugged In Show today. What do you think about Christian movies that push the envelope content-wise? Do you have a clear idea of how far is too far for you? Did you see or are you planning to see Redeeming Love? And was it a shocker for you like it was for Kennedy and I? Uh, what'd you think of it? You can let us know on Facebook or Instagram or shoot us an email at team at com. We would love to hear from you. And we'd also like to say thank you for being a part of the Plugged In Show family. So today for a gift of any amount, we'll send you a copy of Paul Acey's book, Burning Bush 2.0, How Pop Culture Replaced the Prophet. You'll find a link to order that book in the episode notes for today's show, as well as on the plugged in blog entry for our conversation this week. Or just give us a call at 800-A-FAMILY. Thanks again for spending some time with us today, and we look forward to connecting with you again next week on another episode of The Plugged In Show. teach your kids digital boundaries. Author Jonathan McKee brings over 20 years of working with teens and how they interact online to his new book, Parenting Generation Screen. In it, you'll see the importance of setting practical screen limits, when's the best age to get your kid a phone, and how to engage in meaningful conversations with your kids about what they experience online. Learn more about Parenting Generation Screen at focusonthefamily.com store. That's focusonthefamily.com store.